Welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. You're going to want to tune into this one. Uh, before I get started, though, I do want to say this: the topics could get pretty heavy in this one. So if you're struggling by any means, remember you can text, uh, call 988 uh, for the suicide hotline if you're struggling with anything. I've got the phone number at the very end, too, but I just wanted to kind of put that out there. The topic is a little heavy today. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Natalie King, welcome to the show. Having me. Yeah, well, it's, it's a pleasure to finally have you on there. I don't know how, but it's TikTok algorithm we were talking about earlier. I stumbled across your videos and I was immediately sucked in. Um, you know, a mill talk or whatever the right, <laughs> whatever the acronym that people use all the time. It's like we 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 all we can't get away from each other. We just all end up kind of you know back I know, in the same right? circles. <laughs> but uh, you were sharing your story, and uh, I think after watching like three or four videos, I was like, wow, I, I got to get you on the podcast because you've gone through some things that are difficult, mm-hmm. and they're difficult on their own. But you've been through multiple difficult things. Before we dive right into that, uh, go ahead and give us a little bit of your background and, you know, why'd you join the military? What'd you do? Uh, those sure. kind of things. Yep. I joined the Air Force um, in, ooh, what year? I forget the year, but I joined right after high school. Um, I was actually going to go to college after high school and my sister was killed. Um, well, she had an overdose. Um, and, uh, she was an addict. And she was also in the Air Force. Um, I actually come from, my whole family was in the Air Force. Was, my sister's Air Force, my brother's Coast Guard, my dad was Coast Guard, and my mom was Army and then Air National Guard. So I had come from an all-military family, but I joined after my sister um, passed away from an overdose. Um, college just didn't seem on my mind, you know? And I knew I could probably succeed in the, in the military because my whole family did it. And I grew up. You definitely had an example to follow, right? (laughs) Right, right. So um, I did that, and uh, my first duty station was Japan at Yokota Air Base, and it was a lot of fun. I met my husband there, and um, yeah, we had great time. We had a great time in Japan. So what what, what year were you in Japan? Because I was at Yokota in 06 to 08. Oh, mine was I think 2011. Okay. All right. Missed it by a few years. Yeah. Yes. But it is, a, it is an amazing place. That was, did, did you, did you ever make it down to Bar Row? Oh yeah. We go did, to Bar Row all the time. Did they change we the hours were... after I left? It was still shut down from like 1 a.m. to 3 or something. So when I got there, you could go to Bar Row at any time. And, but there was like an accident or something happened with a group of military guys and they ended up putting a curfew on it. But who knows? They might have lifted it again. I okay, knew they yeah, put a I was curfew there, for a little bit. It was like one o'clock to three. I don't know if it was an accident or I, I ran into the the yakuza, the Japanese mob, a few times down there. Those guys oh, were pretty. Crap. Yeah, I saw a few times when I was there, like black SUVs or or sedans that were running with a driver sitting there and guards with oh, suits yeah. in the front door, just doing like one of these things, like don't come in. It was like, yes. okay, all right, I kind of know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm smart. My mom didn't raise a fool. I'm smart enough. No, I'm not going. Right. There. There's plenty of other bars to choose from. For real, I know. Yeah, that's there's how some I good felt. ones though. There are, and they're all like down and in a oh, yeah. spot. It's so cool. Was, was the kebab guy still there? 
I don't know. Uh, what do you call it? Shish, well, I mean, um, I think he had a nickname like Matt Kebab or something like that as well. I don't know. We, there was a weird name. I can't remember what it was. No, I don't remember him. God, those were so amazing after guy. you were drunk, you know, and start some stuff. I know, right? Anymore. Or the curry place. The curry yes, place. Yes, Coco Ichibanya. That was yeah. my favorite. You know, by the way, if, for you and anybody else who ever listens to this, you can order packets on Amazon. Yeah, I, I first time I that. first time I tried it, uh, maybe maybe a year ago. I found them. I was like, well, let's let's see, right? You know, I don't have the chicken cutlet or any of that stuff, but I right, like, I can get but, rice. I can I can I can wing it. But yeah. the moment I opened it up and smelled it, I was like, oh yeah, this Took takes me back. back. Yeah. I know I that know was it. good stuff. Yeah. I know it is. Anyway, yeah, that's that's a beautiful so, place over there. You love yeah, love Japan was great. Um, I love Japan. I got married there at Susa, the courthouse at Susa. And um, we got pregnant and we wanted to have our baby in the States. So we moved to Maryland at Andrews Air Force Base or Joint Base Andrews it is now. And um, we started living there and uh, I had my baby, our son, his name's John King. And it was wonderful. Well, at eight months old, my husband was killed in the Air Force. Um, he was killed in an on-base accident at Maryland, at Andrews. Um, it was devastating. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my entire life. Um, you know, just looking at my son was almost unbearable. It was, it was hard. It was really hard. And um, so we are a Gold Star family. And, um, you know, we hold that title close to our hearts. So. You know, we miss him a lot. Um, after my husband was killed, I got into a drug addiction. I actually um, signed over custody of my son to my parents because my parents thought I wouldn't make it out of my addiction. Um, they saw what happened with my sister, and I was a lot worse off than my sister was. Um, I was shooting meth and everything. My sister... She only took her medication orally. She took a lot of it, but it was orally. And here I am, you know, doing IV drugs. And my parents were like, something's going to happen to you. And I don't want your son in the system. So I ended up uh, signing custody over of him. And for about four to five years, I was in a really deep addiction, um, deep depression. It was it was horrible. I mean, my, my husband's death just broke me really. And, um, uh, I met another guy about five years after my husband died. Um, his name is Justin and he was in the army and he had just gotten out of the army. He did seven years when I met him and I met him in my addiction. Well, the first night we ever hung out together, I got really high. I was passed out. I didn't expect him to stay because I mean, nobody stayed. No, you know, girlfriends didn't stay. Family didn't stay except my parents and um, let alone a guy. So when Justin stayed around, I didn't, I, it surprised me. I didn't know the reason why he was there. And I asked him, you know, why did you stay with me when I was in such a bad condition and so bad into drugs? And he said that he saw potential in me and he knew that 
I didn't want to live this way and that my husband wouldn't want me to live this way. And uh, he helped get me clean off of drugs. Um, it took me about two years to fully stop taking, uh, like, abusing the drugs. Um, I am on, like, maintenance medications. I take maintenance meds, uh, you know, antidepressants and mood stabilizer, things like that. But as for the heavy drugs and stuff, I, I took me two years to stop. Um, after those two years, I got pregnant again. I had another baby boy. And, um, you know, life was good at the time. I was always really scared that another tragedy would happen and I would go spiraling back into my old ways. But um, my dad called me one, one day and he had told me that he was diagnosed with ALS. And he said the lifespan on that is about five years. And that was really heartbreaking. However, um, at that time, it didn't seem very real because my dad was there and he was normal at the time. Well, he slowly started declining and he moved to Texas um, to get medical help to see what the VA could do for him there. Because, Like I said, he was in the Coast Guard. He was a rescue swimmer. Um, so pretty, um, the job is pretty strenuous, you know. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who doesn't swim much. I mean, yeah, exactly. You gotta be, you gotta be so, somewhat fit to do that job. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And so, um, you know, my, and then, uh, I think three years after my dad told me about his diagnosis, he was in Texas. My brother called me and he said, I need you to sit down. Everything's okay. But dad shot himself in the head, but he's alive. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, oh, my gosh. So we flew out to Texas right away to see him. And uh, he lost his right eye, but it didn't hit any of his brain. None of his brain was hit at all and missed him completely. And um, he, I moved him into my home. We moved him to Florida, which was a big task because he had tube feeding. He had a tube hooked up to where you could feed him. He had um, just anything to take care of a person. You had to do it for my father. He wore diapers. He had bed sores. He had to have, you know, showers, all that. It was a lot of work for Justin and I and my mom. Well, that's a full-time job just for, for at least one person. Yes, it was. And my brother tried to help as much as he could, but, you know, he's stationed four hours away, so he can only do so much. So it was really mainly Justin, myself, and my mother taking care of him. Uh, that lasted about maybe three months and he ended up passing away from ALS on hospice. Um, that was last February. And I'm, I'm glad to say that I've remained in my recovery. I've remained out of a depression. Um, I don't know if I avoided that because of the trauma I've been through in the past. And I kind of knew how to work through it already, or if it has something to do with what I'm doing today with my life. I, I can't really decipher the difference. Yeah, it could very sense. well be just a combination of that and then the support structure. Right. Justin, your mom, you know, kids being around, like. Exactly. That probably has a lot you know, to do with it. it it's, it's um, I mean, losing somebody is always tough, but that's, I mean. Yeah. 
having support around you helps. That's important. Helps a lot. That's probably the most important thing. I mean, look what it did for me. It it got me clean and sober, you know, having the right support system. So I think that's what what lacks for a lot of people. Um, As long as I've been doing this podcast and the reasons I did, I I saw stuff on in Facebook groups, you know, mostly where people were screaming for help in different ways. And what I realized was when people end up homeless or substance abuse or suicide, it's all because one or more factors has happened. It's it. It's lack of connections to the military community. It's lack of connections to close family and friends. It's legal issues, financial issues, and and physical and mental health issues. And the more of those somebody has a problem with, the more more likely somebody is to fall into one of those problems. Exactly. I agree. Stuff to dig dig out of. Yes, it is. It really is. But I definitely applaud you for I was because I was wondering, you know, what who that person was. Now I know it's Justin. It was, mm-hmm. it was kind of that, uh, that linchpin to help you get out of that. Yeah. But, um, was there, was there anything other than what he said or anything else that you were noticing that, that made you just sit up one day and say, you know, he's right. I really don't want this for myself. Um, well, since my sobriety took about two years, um, there wasn't a day where I woke up and I was like, I don't want to live like this. That was, I felt that way every day. But I didn't, I, I didn't know how to adjust. I didn't know how, uh, you know, to do it. I didn't know how to do it. I, I just didn't. And Justin was there to lead me into every step of the way. Um, it was a rough two years, but we finally did it, you know? Yes, you could say it's a compound effect of just trying something every day and, and having the right mindset. Right. Let's get a little closer. Every single day. Because that's what I did. I I tapered down on my medication those two years. So although I was still on it, um, I was tapering. So, you know, that last day, it was just, you know, I found out I was pregnant when I was tapering. And that's when I, that's the, I guess that's the thing that told me I needed to stop it altogether is when I got pregnant. Some of the maternal instinct coming in, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I have a healthy, my first child was real healthy and I needed, I didn't want my second child to, you know, have any problems because of me, you know? So it was really important for me to get off of everything that I was taking. That's understandable. I mean, that's a, everybody's goal as a parent is to, to raise your kids so that one day just leave the house and they're successful and uh, and you try and give them every possible advantage you can in life. And you right. don't want anything to hold them back. You know, there's more than enough things in this world that'll try. I know. So, you know, you don't want to add to it for sure. I know. So That's some of the sure. medicine, you know, because I think there's a lot of people that deal with substance abuse or maybe issues. What, have you had any hurdles with, with the medicine and tapering down or any advice for people that, that yeah, are looking to go so, that route? Yeah. So the medications that I'm on right now that have helped me with my recovery and helped me with my mental health is I take, um, I take Zoloft, which is an antidepressant. And I take Abilify, which is a mood stabilizer. And then I have been taking a medication called Suboxone and it helps uh, keep you from abusing opiates. It has a ceiling effect 
to where if you take more of this medication, you can't get high off of it. So there's no point in taking more. Once you, when you first start it, you might feel that euphoric feeling a little bit, but that's it. You can't, you can't get any higher than that. And, and eventually that euphoric feeling just goes away because your body gets used to it within a few days. Um, so that medication I'm taking and I'm tapering myself off now off of that. I started at 16 milligrams and I'm down to one milligram on that today. It's really hard. This is probably the most difficult one medication that I have been tapering off of. So it's, it's understandable. pretty difficult. So outside of, outside of medicine, has there been any other influences, any, any books or any people that you've watched, you know, on Absolutely. speakers um, on YouTube or anything like that, give a shout out to? I, I, I haven't watched any speakers on, on YouTube or anything like that, but I have, I've read a lot of widow books. Um, there's a, um, that helped me through my husband's death, of course, um, that I read there's, it's called widow to widow. That was an amazing book. And then, um, the things I, that I do is I meditate. I meditate every night before bed and I do breathing treatments. And I actually, I guess I could show this. I have this device that I, I'm really bad at breathing exercises. And I got this device called a call me go. And it's actually like an, it's like an inhaler, but it's an exhaler and it helps you with your breathing exercises. And this thing, it has been tested for PTSD, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, everything like that. You do it for like three times a day for three minutes and it helps you with all that stuff. This has been a game changer for me, at least for my breathing exercises that I do. It's interesting. And I think all, you know, everybody should be able to squeeze in you know, about three minutes, three times a day. Absolutely. I know it's <laughs> nothing. All you have to do is breathe in and out and, and it, you follow the device. It tells you like when to stop exhaling and all that stuff. Like it's really cool. Yeah. Really well, everybody device. should be well qualified to, uh, to breathe. Right. Right. I, I, I mean, we're just not breathing right, but <laughs> I know it. I guess not. Oh, yeah. But uh, actually, you know, I, I did see that the other day on, I think, on one of your TikToks. I think you had, had showed that or something like that. But uh, I'll go ahead and throw that across the bottom. So, it, yeah. Before I forget, because I've, I've had a tendency that, to do that I'm, sometimes. That thing, I swear by it. I swear by that thing. It's even helped my son. That's awesome. Speaking of which, I hear, <laughs> so here comes kids in the background. Yeah, I yeah. think my son just got home. It's yeah, okay. it's understandable. Yeah, I, you know, it wouldn't be the first time I've had kids pop their heads in. And a dog pop their head up once, too. On, on I don't really care. It's, uh, <laughs> like I said earlier, this is just a casual conversation. And um, that's that's just the way I, I think it goes best. So that's, Yeah, I agree. So uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, going back to your husband's death in, in support. I mean, you had Justin later on. Obviously, I'm sure you had your family, but what other kind of support was there out there? You mentioned Gold Star. Uh, I know um, I'm actually in Peoria, Illinois, is where I'm, where I'm at, where the Gold Star um, was foundation. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm draw, drawing a blank right I, now. It was, it was founded by Patty um, Smith. Yes, I think there's the Gold Star Foundation, Gold Star Wives of America, um, things like that. Now, the support I had, of course, I had my family. I had my husband's family. Um, but as for support, there's not too much out there. 
for gold star families who whose loved one was killed um, like an on-base accident or in a line of duty situation. Um, a lot of these um, support systems that help you out, uh, you have to be, you know, KIA or um, 22 a day, you know, they have a lot of support for suicide veterans or members, uh, military members. But as for like Gold Star Wives who were killed in the line of duty, there's not much out there for us, um, unfortunately. Uh, I know there's like the TAPS program and things like that, but there's not much. And it's unfortunate. Where would you say if somebody was a nonprofit or inclined to go that route and offer some sort of uh, help to people in a situation? Because I don't know what those numbers are look, at, look like, but when you have as many people in the military as we do, deaths in the line of work, I mean, it, it happens. It happens so, all the time. Where do you think some of the gaps in that in that coverage are? Where, where could an organization step in and actually help? Yeah, um, I don't know if maybe these, already these nonprofits that are already um, up and running. Uh, I don't know if they could like just add on, you know, line of duty deaths or somebody could open a nonprofit for just the line of duty deaths. There's, there's KIA nonprofits just for KIA. There's nonprofit for just suicide victims. You know, there's nonprofit for that, but there's no nonprofit for like in the line of duty deaths. And Somebody could. I mean, I could. I don't know. Maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know somebody's got to lead it. I'm just, I'm just saying. I know, but, but that's where I'd start. I don't know. I mean, you could, you we could do retreats. We could do. Um, I know the uh, Gold Star families have a housing program that they get like soldiers that were killed in action, things like that. You could do anything like that. Yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, somebody's whole world just gets turned upside down with no notice yeah. at all. You oh, know, no. I, th I think I had heard part of your story. Did, you got notified in the middle of the night or something like that? Or was it afternoon? It was, it was in the early morning. Early morning. My husband, yeah, about 7.30 when the accident happened. And they got to my door about 8.39 and said he was in an accident. And they told me that he was okay, though and that he was on his way to the hospital and that I'd be able to see him once they got more information. Well, by the time that the commander and the chaplain and everybody came to my house, he was already gone. And they said, well, now you can go to the hospital and see him. And I was like, well, why didn't y'all tell me earlier? I've been waiting here for three hours. You know, I would have yeah. liked to go see him, but no, you know, they told me he passed. And then they said that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it sounds like the most military thing ever, right there. I know. As There's streamlined, so as communicative as the military can be, we both know one hand doesn't always talk to the other. Exactly. And um, oh, I was going to say something else, and now I can't remember. Another thing they did, oh, yeah, the investigation report. I couldn't even... Um, read about how he was killed or know how he was killed until six months after his death. Everything that I heard that happened was from people that were there, you know, so different stories, but the official report was six months later. And I mean, I understand they have to do an investigation, but that's, that's hard. 
that was really hard. But as a spouse, you're not there. So, I mean, why, what, what is the harm in you? Well, I guess they don't, know, they don't know all the facts, but I guess right. they could give a, a summarized version of like, here's what we know initially. I know. I could, couldn't think. imagine sitting around waiting six months to, to, to know for sure. Yeah. They like, flew to my house and everything. The investigator, he took a plane down to Sarasota and he came to my house and he sat down at my dining table and he opened up huge book of the investigation report with pictures and details everything i had to oh, read goodness. all through that i know and i had to read all through that he explained it every step of the way though so wow yeah it was insane that, it was a that hard is, day yeah that I, I could only imagine reliving that that trauma over and over again like yeah. that um so, so your father and, and his ALS diagnosis, I know, um, actually in, in prepping for this, one of my kids were like, you know, was like, what are you, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, this is, this yeah. is what I know of her story. And they're like, what's ALS? And I was like, well, ALS is that one thing that I am horrified of, mm-hmm. you know, from Steve Gleason and the documentaries about him, you know, the, the professional football player and the things I've read about it. That's absolutely it's, terrible. It's, an absolutely devastating disease. My dad said it was like he was in quicksand up to his neck. He could barely move anything. He couldn't move his legs at all. He could move his arms a little bit still, but as far as anything else, he couldn't. He couldn't do nothing. He couldn't hardly. He couldn't even clip his fingernails. You know, I mean, it's terrible. It's got to be really was, hard. It was hard going, yes, going from, you know, a a helicopter rescue swimmer, an AST who went through this training program that has like an 80% failing rate, you know, going from something like that to not being able to even walk was absolutely devastating for my father. And I do understand why he wanted to end his life. I understand why he did that. I think most of us do because I think as veterans, we know like, when you're in service, you rely on your team and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And to go from being proud and being able to, to do, you know, do your life, right. Do your yep. things in life to having no control and somebody waiting on you would be like the worst. Ugh, the worst. I know it. The worst. My dad hated it. He did not like it at all. And I felt sorry for him. I felt so bad for him. So he how long a- did he go from diagnosis to when he passed um about four years about four years yeah that would be four years a long a long path of knowing the inevitable i know it and my dad you know he since he was an ast he saved a lot of lives throughout his career and it's just so sad to see you know somebody that risked their life so much for other people that they didn't even know to pass away in such a way is really hard. It's hard to understand why God would do this, but there's always a reason. That there is. Well, we're all, I think we're all putting here for a reason, no matter how spiritual you want to get with it. Like we all have a reason and we all have an ability to impact this world in more ways we can ever imagine. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I think, you can take away from that is it's not just the people that he would have saved 
or did save, you know, when he was in the Coast mm-hmm. Guard. It's what kind of impact did they have on the world too? It's like this compound thing, you know? Right. Does one of those people that he saved go on to have a successful to, life and have a kid who cures cancer? Cancer, right. I know. Or, or turns around and cures ALS. Yes. I, you know, I mean, you just never know. Amazing. I know. Well, it. you know, they I make lifetime movies and storylines like that. <laughs> they sure do. They sure do. Not, I, I should say, not that I watch lifetime movies, but I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> Sure I, you do, I understand how those sure. plots go. <laughs> I, I grew up with a mother and a sister and I'm and married. I've been married for 12 years. So I've seen a few Lifetime movies uh, against my will. But, you know, yeah, it is yeah, what it is. I know, know. Those, I know how those plots go. So, oh, that's but true, it, you know, you, you never know exactly what, uh, what kind of that impact is. I know. it. You don't. And I think about that a lot. Absolutely. I bet you do. Um, cause I know it's, it's not easy. I lost my father when I was 16. So I, I know it's, um, it's a tough so thing sorry. to go through and, uh, well, it's been almost 21 years now. And I, I'll say this, it gets a little easier sometimes in some ways it doesn't, you know, it's like every time of the year when the anniversary comes up or around a birthday or major life events and you realize that person's not here, it's, it's tough. It stings, but also think about those positive things. Like I said, you never know what kind of impact. Right. You know, I, like for me, him dying at 16, I might not have joined the Air Force if he was would have still been alive. Who knows what impact? Yeah. And I might I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had my kids. Yeah. Right. Who knows? You know, see, so I think the same thing all the time. Like if my sister didn't pass away and I went to college, you know, I, I think the same thing. I think it gives a little bit of gratitude. That's why I kind of asked earlier about, you know, other things that you know, books or other things. I'm glad you said meditation because I think meditation, you know, waking up and have some daily gratitude every day for where you're at. Mm. The fact that you're even waking up is, is a huge way to start yes. the day. Yes, it is. You know, or going outside and grounding. I always thought that was the weirdest thing in the world until I tried it. And it was actually. Yeah. It's actually oddly, really freeing. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- freeing. And That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Calming or something. Yeah. I tried that this it summer. Really is. Uh, yeah, fellow fellow veteran Lane Ballone kind of talked about it. I had a little challenge, and I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna go out there, and I'm gonna I'm sit in my lawn chair, and I'm gonna take my socks and shoes off, and sit in there and eat lunch." And I did it on yeah. every beautiful like every beautiful day that I could, and I was like, "I was like, I can't yeah. wait till next summer." I know. <laughs> Too bad I live in the Midwest. I got to deal with snow and stuff here coming up soon, but you know, yeah, it's like it was kind of recharging and freeing, and you know, it really all this is. Stuff. And you'd be surprised, like. Even just meditating and ha- and telling yourself positive affirmations, you know, while you're just thinking or whatever you're doing, <laughs> um, it's so it does so much for you. Just talking positive a little bit every day, it it's really it's a good thing. It does a lot for you. Absolutely, so. that it does. So. Natalie, I, I, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing a little bit of your story. And um, like I've said earlier, you know, I got to scroll across the screen. I'll have it in the show notes too for people who want to watch or listen. Okay. I'll have all your contact information. But if people are on TikTok, I know some people are against TikTok. I don't know why because I get sucked in, sucked in for hours. Love TikTok. But uh, they, they definitely need to go out there and connect with you and, and follow your story and others. Yeah. There's a lot of great content creators on there. So There are. Absolutely. So I appreciate you sharing your story and stopping by. Thank you so much, Keith. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad that you had me on. Yeah, no problem. Take it easy. 
Thank you so much. All right, there you have it, folks. Remember, you can go to my website and check out resources. I just recently re kind of redesigned the website. But as you know, as I always say, if there's resources on there, uh, not on there that you think should be, reach out and let me know. And like I said earlier, if you're struggling, uh, you can call 988-PRESS-1 or you can text 838-255. Go get yourself some help because we want you here tomorrow.